Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. We'll read through verse 24 this evening. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man and made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Tonight I want to finish the message I started several weeks ago on the subject of one flesh. Now part of being one flesh means a husband and wife should be emotionally connected. I know that when that marriage takes place, two people come up to the platform and they stand before a judge. They say vows. They make a commitment. They say a promise, each one to each other. Uh, and that should last for life. Now, those two making those promises should not be held together simply by their vows, but if they're one flesh, they should be connected not simply because they are of high character or because they made a commitment. They should be connected spiritually, physically, emotionally. And how often have we seen in our own lives and seen in others, couples that after a while, although they live together, they live under the same roof and they function and they maintain a marriage. There's no emotional connection. That's not what God has planned for any marriage. Let me just say, in order to stay emotionally connected, first of all, you need to stay connected with God. And let's look at this on a spiritual level first, because your home cannot be right, your marriage cannot be right, unless your relationship with God is right. And I know often in Christianity, we try to separate the two. You can't separate the two. If your relationship with the Holy Spirit and your relationship with God is nearly non-existent, if you're not having an emotional relationship with God. I'm not talking about going through the motions. Too much of Christianity is simply going through the motions. Well, I'll read my Bible. Well, I'll go to church. Well, I'll try to win a soul. I'm not talking about simply fulfilling your duties. And marriage can be the same way where people start at some point because of frustration or lack of forgiveness or problems in the past. They decide to endure, but there's just no emotional connection. And here's what we see in this story. Adam and Eve were walking with God daily. Now, when you walk with God daily, you're going to greatly help, greatly aid in your marriage. And what if you say, well, pastor, I am doing that. The only problem is my husband or my wife is unsaved. How in the world can we have a good marriage? Uh, you leave that up to God. You maintain the right relationship with God. Uh, you need to be striving. I want to have and be emotionally connected. Now, there are a few building blocks in order to make that happen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter we will refer to often when speaking of love and marriage. One of the most basic building blocks is trust. Marriage is based on trust. Look what it says in verse 7. Charity. 
beareth all things, charity, what's the next verb? Believeth all things. Now, in marriage, you ought to be careful that you never do anything to hurt that trust because ultimately, you will devastate your marriage. You cannot be emotionally connected when there's been a hurt that hasn't been fixed, a mistrust. And listen, in marriage, as we said this morning, perception is reality. So if your wife or your husband, whatever your mate uh, sees as something that's not healthy, you need to quickly listen to their opinion, take their suggestion, and correct the problem. Now, you shouldn't live, if you're a jealous person, you need to get with God and get that correct and say, God, help me, so I don't live jealous. You'll devastate a marriage at living as a jealous person. You say, well, I've been hurt in the past, and that trust was devastated because of a situation or a circumstance or a past sin or a problem that we had. At some point, trust in your mate boils down to trust in God. And you have to first trust God to be able to trust your spouse. But when we're talking about an emotional connection. Here's where I see people living together, coexisting, but with no emotional connection because somewhere the trust was hurt. And when that trust was broken, suddenly those two people could no longer be together, enjoy each other's presence, communicate effectively, grow in their marriage. At some point, you've got to let that go and say, okay, God, I want to trust this person. I want them to trust me. And charity, biblical love, is based on trust. And you've got to say, I, I, I thank God for the wife that God has given me. I trust my wife implicitly. There's no doubt that she loves me. I thank God for the past 21 years of marriage together. And I thank God I've never been suspicious. I've never had to live looking over my wife's shoulder. Thankfully, I've never snooped around. She has my phone. I have her phone. There's nothing that we hide from each other. Well, I, nothing. I say almost nothing. Occasionally, she hides a Pepsi. But <laughs> beside the occasional Pepsi bottle under the kitchen sink, it's not affected my trust. Amen? Put it this way. It hasn't devastated my trust. I know there's a Pepsi bottle in the house someplace. <laughs> Probably one at this very moment. This matter of trust is serious. Because ultimately, whether perceived or real, if there is suspicion in a marriage, and, and this is why you ought to be open, this is why you ought to be transparent, this is why you ought to maintain a high level of trust, because as soon as that trust is breached, guess what? emotionally, the connection has just ended. And it's very difficult to restore. So when we're talking about an emotional connection here, make sure, men, if there's something that woman doesn't like, and women, if there's someone that man is nervous about you being around, respect that. Because ultimately, it'll eat away something good that God has given you, a solid marriage with an emotional connection. Let me say number two. Uh, in order to be emotionally connected, you need to be emotionally available. 
in a marriage, here's why God puts two people together. Because God knows it's not good for man to be alone. God knows we all have emotions. And there's times in life we're more emotional. Now, man, I hope you are not overly emotional. Okay, if you cry every day, you've got some serious problems. You need to go see a doctor. You shouldn't be an emotional disaster. But here's one of the problems in marriage. If that person you married is frustrated or hurt uh, or excited, they just got good news, you ought to smile with them and for them and be rejoicing when they rejoice and weeping when they weep. And man, I've, I've tried to help you. You don't have to understand their emotions. You never understand their emotions. Now, women, don't, don't expect him to understand. Men are so totally different in their emotions, in their thinking. So don't expect to ever totally understand each other. That's not necessary. But what is necessary, if your husband has just faced a rough situation at work and has had a problem, listen, when you come in, he needs you to be there for him emotionally and that woman that God gave you at times is going to need you to be there for her emotionally. An emotional connection is finished when we are not where we are supposed to be. And when that mate is in crisis, when that mate is in the valley, when that mate is on the mountaintop and we're not there with them there's emotional disconnect i remember one of the saddest things i've ever dealt with in the ministry years ago when we we're in mexico i was with a man that that i loved and respected and uh, i was speaking to him and he opened up his heart broke down and said preacher i'm in trouble my marriage is in trouble and uh i, I said I, I think maybe you may be talking to the wrong person you need no, preacher, just listen to me. He said, here's a problem. And he mentioned a woman. And uh, he said, listen, preacher, there's never been anything physical. There's never been anything sexual. But my wife refuses to connect emotionally. And I've come to depend upon this woman. And any joy or sorrow that I share, it's never with my own mate. And here's a man ready to get out of the ministry because there was no emotional connection in their marriage because the wife wasn't there for the husband. The husband's not there for the wife. And you know in life, when you're on the mountaintop, you need to be able to share that with someone. And when you're in the valley, you need to be able to share that with someone. And in marriage, if you have that moment of depression, frustration, you had better... Step up, step into your place. Otherwise, that person is going to say, they're never there for me. And men, listen, if you're not there for your wife, Satan will make sure someone is there for her. That person should be you. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Another building block to stand emotionally connected is being sensitive in our responses. When we talk about marriage, 
there are many times during the day you're with that person 24-7 for the rest of your life. So that you are called upon to respond numerous times during the day. What? Sometimes you're called upon to respond when you're sick, when you're tired. Now, it's easy outside of your house because you've already combed your hair and brushed your teeth and, and ironed your shirt and you've gotten your mind in gear and you know I'm uh, in public and now I need to perform, so you come to the church house and uh, you know when to smile and when to back up and how to talk and, well, for the most part, you respond properly. But in a, here's what we do in our house, in our home, we let down our guard and in that setting oftentimes... Because we're tired, we're irritable, we're frustrated, we've had a long day, we're hungry, we've already put up with too much and I can't handle any more. So there's a response that is insensitive and that person that you love the most is tired of constantly being responded to in an insensitive manner. And there's, listen, opposites attract, so there's always one that is more sensitive than the other. And you've got to understand that as far as personalities are concerned. But your personality is not an excuse to say, well, you know, I'm just a hard, cold personality and that's the way I was born. What you want, woman? Crying again? Call your mother. It's a real good emotional connection there. Look what it says in verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Look what it, go back a book to Romans chapter 12. Verse 10. Be kind of affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. And we like to say, well, pastor, in the context, this is talking about, you know, saints with other saints, Christians with other Christians. Your wife's not a Christian. She's not included in this in honor, preferring one another. And here's what we need to do in the context of marriage. Say, if I'm going to maintain an emotional connection, I've got to be careful, even though I'm tired, even though we've been living together now for 20, 25, 30 long, be careful how you say that word, long years, Instead of things getting worse, they should be getting better where you're a little more careful, you're a little more discreet, and you say, it doesn't matter what my frame of mind is. It doesn't matter what kind of day I have had. That's not an excuse to respond hurtfully, cruelly, frustrated tone. And you know what? It's amazing. How many of you have realized this? It, college age is kind of like the zenith of selfishness, you kind of reach the peak, and then you get married, you don't realize how selfish you are until about six months in. And then in hindsight, how many look back 10 years after getting married and said, wow, I was really a selfish person when I got married. And then you get embarrassed, you start to face the facts, you start to deal with all that selfishness, you start to express love. You're growing. You're, you're supposed to be growing. I hope you're growing. 
and you're maturing and you're examining who you are and the way you react and the way you respond. And I remember my wife asking me before or, or making the statement, Adam, why did you respond in that tone? Why did you look at me like that? Have you ever had your mate ask you those questions? That's why I started texting, because there's no tone in texting. <laughs> How many of you looked back at your tone and you thought, that's just my voice? I didn't want that to come out that way. How many of you have ever been rebuked for your tone and you didn't even know you had said it in a harsh, mean, or negative tone? Yeah. But that's what marriage is about. It, it helps us examine everything from our facial expression to our tones. How many of you ever been confronted because they said, why did you look at me that way? Well, then next time you went, hey. <laughs> Try to read that body language. <laughs> and here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to be overly analytical. Don't get to a point in your marriage where you're trying to read their body language and say, well, that was a sour look. That was a sweet. Listen, that's his face. He was born with it. You actually chose it. You picked that face. Now you're realizing it wasn't such a good choice. Well, I didn't know it was going to be wrinkled. I didn't know it was going to be bald. I didn't know later on he's going to let a mustache grow. He never looked at me like that when we were courting. Now, honestly, here's what we have to do in marriage. We, we have to understand that there are emotions involved. We have to stay emotionally connected. And when we are not responding correctly, and we go out of our way when we're with, whether that's in a job situation or in a school setting or any kind of public get-together, a church setting, we're very cautious and we try to be sensitive for the most part. We try to be sensitive in our response. Now, why if we can make that much effort in the six or eight or ten hours outside of our home, why don't we make the same effort on the same level inside our home? Just some basic rules of kindness. Sometimes we push too hard and we prod too much and we create situations that are unnecessary. How emotionally connected are you after you just dealt with a blow-up? Sometimes it doesn't even take a blow-up. One word changes the whole dinner environment. One look. Now, what prevents that emotional connection from happening? Let's look at a few things here quickly. I'd say one of the biggest things in marriages in 2013 would be lack of time spent together. I mean, life is just so busy. There are so many things happening that suddenly husbands and wives are spending so little time together there's no emotional connection even being made during the day because the husband gets, leaves early, gets home late, then homework has to be done and cooking and cleaning and the dishes and most of the time men now have to bring their job home and, and even if they're home, they're not 
in their mind home because they're thinking already about tomorrow's responsibilities. So those few minutes that are spent together are not spent connecting, but disconnecting. In order for marriage to work, there has to be a determination. I only have so much time during the day, but my number one priority is my family. My number one priority is my marriage, and I want to make sure that at some point, if I only have a couple hours in the evening, there has to be an emotional connection taking place, and there has to be a little bit of time invested. Now, if you're fortunate enough to work at home, that's a different story, but most people... By the time you get home, you're worn out, she's worn out, and then those next three hours, whether that's a television that's creating the entertainment or other obligations that are taking place and being done, let's be honest. How much time, just, just think about the average evening at your house, how much time is actually spent connecting? So, what takes place in the average marriage? Five, six, eight, ten, twelve years in, there's a disconnect. It shouldn't be that we are the most, our greatest emotional connection is six months before marriage and six months after marriage. God wants that connection to be strengthened over time, your connection today ought to be better than it's ever been before. That's God's desire for our homes. That's God's desire for our marriage. Now, it's not just a lack of time, but I think we could also point to a lack of forgiveness. Now, at some point, you were emotionally connected. That's why you got married. Now, if that emotional connection is now non-existent, or if it has been worsened over time, it'd be easy as a pastor to pinpoint one of those problems, root problem. It's called forgiveness. Right? Here's, I think here's what we, one of the things we forget about forgiveness, go with me to Ephesians 4 because I don't want to spend much time here. This is a subject that has been hit, re-hit, mentioned and re-mentioned. We know, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind. Once again, we need to apply this to the marriage setting. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But go back with me to verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Did you know when you refuse to forgive, you're opening the door to the devil in your home, in your marriage. You just invited Satan in to sit down at your table, put his feet up on your coffee table, enjoy your couch. You know that. You've been there. We've all been there. A moment of frustration. And the longer you live, the more you're going to come to realize it's a good thing to forgive because we all will need forgiveness. So dish it out. 
abundantly. Because at some point you'll need it abundantly. We laughed and for years I told the story about the time we were in Mexico and uh, Kim uh, walked out the door and I put the kids in the car and Brittany was asleep. She was a baby. She's laying on the floor and those houses and those doors in Mexico, when you shut them, they lock automatically. And I walked her out to the vehicle and put the kids in their seat belts and I didn't realize she had shut the door, locking me out. And she drove away and I waved and smiled. And then I turned around and the door was shut. Well, during the average day, that wouldn't be a problem. I'd have the keys in my pocket, but it was a Sunday. And on Sundays, because it was hot in Mexico, I'd come home and, and I'd change into a pair of loose pants and I'd take out my wallet and I'd take out my keys and I'd take everything, even the belt off. And I'd have on a t-shirt and I'd be barefoot so we could walk on the cold concrete floor because we didn't have an AC so there I am standing outside, barefoot, in a t-shirt, no keys, no wallet, no money, nothing. And uh, I walked up to the door, and I could hear little Brittany crying on the floor, and my temperature gauge was reading hot at this point. And I thought, that's not a problem. Normally we go in, we open up the back door, and I can go around the back and climb over the back fence. The only problem with our back fence was it was a six-foot wall of concrete and then about another five or six feet of uh, chain-leak fence, and I was barefoot. It's always beautiful to climb a concrete wall on a six-foot chain-leak fence, and I hopped over the back, and the back door wasn't open. But Brittany was still crying. My temperature gauge was reading hotter. The neighbors are watching, and I want to yell at them. <laughs> Mind your own business! And I got to climb back over. Summer, it's hot. One o'clock in the afternoon. I got to go down to the main street and try to get a taxi. And I'm barefoot. And I don't have money. And it's Sunday, so there are a few taxis anyway. And I'm hopping around on the concrete because it's so hot. My wife let me stranded outside, and Brittany's in the house. Finally, a taxi stopped, and I climbed in. She said, where do you want to go? I didn't even know where she was going. I had no money to pay for this taxi, no idea where she was going, no idea where to find her. Brittany's laying on the floor at the house, screaming her head off. This preacher was losing his Christianity real quickly. Now, isn't it amazing the things in life that we get most upset about? Accidental mistakes. There's no intention. Simply shutting a door. Now, I told that story and we laughed, but you know what happened? A couple years ago, we were preparing for the Valentine's banquet, and I had to run out to Bastrop to take care of some details and sign a few papers, do something. My wife was cleaning the back. Now, in the United States, when I shut the door, I just, out of habit, I lock it automatically. She's outside cleaning. It's about 40 degrees. It's cold. She doesn't have shoes on. And I kissed her goodbye, and I shut the door, and I locked her out. It was accidental. There was no evil intent. There was no vindictiveness in my heart. There was no, listen, I was not seeking revenge. And I locked the door and I drove to Bastrop and I get this phone call. 
Adam, I had to go to the neighbors, and I don't have shoes on. You locked me out of the house, and I was standing out there for 45 minutes, and I'm freezing. I don't know how to get back in. Be careful. You better forgive because you're going to need forgiveness. How many times have we caught ourselves? A couple years ago, Kim was speeding down the highway. No, it was a hill. I promise. I don't speed. And we talked about speeding and don't speed. And she came home with this panic look on her face. She said, I got a ticket. And I said, you did what? You got a ticket? You got pulled over by the policeman? What were you thinking? Four days later. I didn't want to tell her, but we're going to have to take defensive driving together, so I might as well get it over with. I'm like, babe, how do you get pulled over at a stoplight? Worse than that, I had to tell her I was sitting at a stoplight when he pulled me over. Guess what we're going to do? You know what? She's loving kind enough not to say, you got pulled over by a policeman? What were you thinking? Were you even thinking? Have you been there? If you've ever been there as a maid, and you know I better not be too upset because next month, next year, maybe even tomorrow, you know the best thing you can do in marriage right off the bat as soon as you get married you just get in the habit of forgiving immediately you forgive every little thing that happens because at some point there will be a big thing and if you're already in the habit of forgiving everything immediately you'll be able to forgive the big things and you know what my favorite text is on forgiveness anyway go to Luke chapter 7 Verse 40, Luke 7, 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have someone to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. I've had people ask me before, well, who loves the most in your home? Is it Kim or you? It's, that's an easy answer. I do. That's even a biblical answer. I love her more. There's no doubt in my mind. And Christ agrees with me, according to Luke, because the Bible says, he that's been forgiven the most will love the most. Guess what? She's had to forgive me a whole lot more than I've ever had to forgive her. Amen. I can't help but love that. Now, here's why you ought to forgive, and here ought to be your motivation. The more I forgive, the more indebted that person is to me. So, hey, howdy do that? I'm happy to forgive. Because it's just natural. You know who you love and appreciate in life? Those who have forgiven you. Time and time again. You can't help but appreciate a boss. You've blown it. You've messed up. 
and they forgive you and overlook it, that's okay. That's okay. It's not really okay, but it's okay anyways. How many of you have a mate 25, 30, 35 years later? I mean, you've blown it. If you've been married 25 or 30 years, you've blown it several times. And you've watched that person say, don't worry about it. Forgive it. I love you. How many times have you heard that? And now, that love in your heart has so grown because you've been forgiven and forgiven and forgiven and forgiven. I would have to say one of the problems with not being emotionally connected can be pointed back to a lack of patience with each other. Now, here's what you want to do. When you get married, you're marrying someone who's 20, 22, 25, 26 years old. There's a lot of growing left to do. How many of you realize that? How many of you realize you're 45 and still growing? You want to be patient. Because you're growing together. Now, here's the problem. You want to make sure you're both growing. Their problems in marriage is when one stops growing, the other one keeps growing, and pretty soon they're on two totally different levels because one refused to grow, mature, whether that's spiritually or emotionally. You want to make sure you keep growing so you stay on the same level. How many of you look back, you found yourself disconnected in marriage, emotionally disconnected? And you can point to the fact there was a lack of forgiveness, a lack of time spent together, a lack of patience with each other. Go to Matthew 5. Scriptures, we're reading scripture tonight that aren't normally read when speaking of marriage. But I think they're appropriate nonetheless. How do we reconnect? Or how do we connect emotionally? Well, one of the most important things to do is stop waiting to be loved and just start loving. You know, one of the things I find most common in marriage and marital problems, we've stopped acting and started reacting. And acting is based on principle. Reacting is based on an emotion. We just preached a couple weeks ago on the fact that love is a choice. And here's what happens in marriage, when he starts treating me right, I'll start treating him right. When he smiles at me, I'll smile at him. When she gets the house clean, we'll go out for dinner. It's like some sort of agreement. That's not marriage. That's not love. There's nothing biblical about you reacting. You're supposed to act. You know, you know what creates love in a marital relationship? When that person knows, I have a little bit of leeway here. I can make an occasional mistake and they're not going to react. Don't you like that? Don't you like knowing, you know what? I can make a, I'm not on purpose going to go out and be an idiot or a jerk. But occasionally I know if I make a mistake, even if it's a bad decision, Maybe a financial problem. Who knows what it is? I know I have enough leeway when I come home. At the end of the day, that woman's going to look at me, and instead of reacting, she's going to act and say, I love you. 
It's okay. We'll get through this. We'll make another dollar. We'll do better tomorrow. We'll survive this problem. You know how uncomfortable it is in marriage? If you connected or if you are someone who is constantly reacting instead of acting, that person knows. I've got to push every right button to get them to react. And any wrong button has a horrible consequence that follows. That is a recipe for disaster in a marriage. And let me ask you this. If your life is based on principle, you will be someone who constantly says, okay, what is the right action here? But if you react, you wake up in the morning, well, how did they treat me? How did they wake up? Your response should never be based on how they woke up or how they treated you or what kind of mood they're in. Their mood should not dictate your mood. Their spirit should not dictate your spirit. Their response should not dictate your action. Marriage and love is supposed to be an action, not a reaction. There is no reaction found in 1 Corinthians 13. That's called an action. That's a determined action based upon principle. You know what society has taught us? Follow your emotions. Everything's an emotion. Love is an emotion. Christianity is an emotion. Your relationship with God is an emotion. You better be very careful. You are in serious trouble if all of your life is built upon a foundation called emotions. You need to wake up in the morning and say, I haven't had my coffee, haven't had a good breakfast, but I love you because I chose to. And maybe by about noon, I'll get around to feeling like it. But right now, it's basically based on the fact that I just chose to wake up and say, crazy hair and all, I love you. I don't even need a good breakfast to be able to say it. I don't even have to wait for my coffee. Even though I don't even have an iron shirt, not an issue. I love you. And look what the Bible says about love, Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say, and you love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Now let me ask you this. Does that give you the idea that love is a choice or love is an emotion? If you have to love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you, all of those are choices, not emotions. All of those are actions, not reactions. That you may be the children of your father. He's saying that you may be like God, your heavenly father. Did you know God doesn't react? He acts. What he does is not a reaction, but an action based upon principle. Verse 46, here's the question. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? You know what we want to do? We want to respond and react. When they love me the way I'm supposed to be loved, I will love them the way they want to be loved. 
That's not love. That's a reaction. It's not love. That's an emotion. The best thing you can do for your marriage is say, one flesh means more than staying together, living together, maintaining a commitment, and keeping our vows. Your marriage should not be based on good character. And the fact that I was part of a generation that once we made a commitment, we are going to keep it and until death do us part. Sorry, baby, you're stuck with me. I don't really think that was the purpose of marriage vows. I think marriage is about being emotionally connected. And if work or lack of forgiveness or something has kept that from happening, we have to address it and say, we're one flesh. Let's stay emotionally connected. 